0: welcome to the makeshift cmo a startup marketing podcast for founders and early stage company teams all right everyone welcome to this edition of the makeshift cmo my name is bruce chen as always today i'm joined by a very special everyone's special guest uh, joshua lipton Uh, Josh is helping the multifamily industry get more out of their marketing. And if you haven't guessed, RentSync is a MarTech platform uh, for real estate multifamily owners. Uh, Josh and I came across uh, a while back when uh, he was trying to sell me Postalgia for another sales and marketing campaign we were running at a different company. Uh, but uh, I think it's uh, I think it's always good to get companies on who are in an interesting space like prop tech, but at the same time have sort of uh, expanded to different solutions in this market. How are you, Josh? I'm doing well.
1: Been been a while. Uh, but So good to hear from you, Bruce, and, and good to see you. Uh, thanks for having me on. i uh, really excited to to have this kind of discussion.
0: So, as I was talking with you in pre-show, Josh has uh, Josh has a varied background, uh, starting from, uh, I believe you were at Minto Group as a marketing coordinator, yep. then you uh, went around to a variety of different um, startups and sales and marketing uh, roles. Did you want to just give everyone the origin back, uh, sort of <laughs> background story?
1: Sure, sure. Um, I mean, I can go way back. So, I mean, no. originally, I, to be quite frank, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Coming out of university, I, uh, I was good at math and uh, but I also had some creativity. So I thought marketing was kind of the perfect blend of that. Um, and I actually started at RBC as an intern. Um, that was just a couple months. Uh, didn't like it. It was uh, RBC is a great organization, but it was I was a tiny cog in a machine. Well, then I went to my next role, uh, which was at Reliance Home Comfort, smaller company still felt like a cog in the machine and I just kept working my way down into smaller and smaller companies as you said then it was Temento uh, which is one of Canada's uh, largest apartment building owners and they also do development I um, actually liked it there good good culture um, but again I, I found that I wanted to do more and I felt like my voice wasn't really being heard um, you know I would make recommendations and they'd go on deaf ears uh, so I continued to go down that ladder to smaller and smaller companies. Uh, to what at the time was called Landlord Web Solutions, but is now called RentSync. Um, and I found my way there at the time, uh, I think we were a group of 30, uh, so it was still a small company um, and I really found a home there. It, um again, I personally like being able to really, um, not feeling like a cognitive machine, that's really the analogy I use. I really had a, a say in how this organization was run uh, even from an early standpoint, uh, though I did originally go into sales. Um, I, so I switched from marketing to sales, uh, which was a bit of a outside my comfort zone, but I've always been a believer that if you're not pushing the boundaries of, of your comfort, then you're not really growing. And that's really what I've tried to do, is I've tried to continue to push my comfort level, uh, try things that are different. Um, and you know, I actually left Frensync uh, temporarily and went to, as you said, Postalgia. Um, which was an even smaller company, that was one of four. So that was a true startup, as small as you can get, and um, probably the most stressful year of my life um, to that point. But it was also where I saw the most growth. Again, uh, it was completely outside my comfort zone in that I was the head of sales. I, we basically, if I didn't do sales, you know, the company was, who knows if we're gonna make payroll next uh, next month. So it was, uh, again, we got the company on track, companies I've left the company since but it's doing well and I think I left in a a position for success Um, and I still talk with the owners of Postalgia. Great company and again I learned so much um, because again I was running it all from from at that point. Um, I actually made my way back to Rensink at the time they no longer need someone in sales Um, so I went into operations. So now i'm actually on the operations side so i'm a product i'm the director of product and operations um, over there so it's both uh, how the product works as well as some of the operational elements and uh, but i still think that there's a through line here um, to marketing which has really always been again it's how i started uh, i get first of all it's, it's a marketing platform rentsync uh, so it offers marketing to multifamily uh clients but on top of that you know, I really do think there's a marriage between um, marketing and product. Uh, you know, it used to be just, here's our product and how do we get people to use it? Uh, but today, uh, UX and UI is very much kind of the marriage between product and, and marketing. And, and they really have to go hand in hand. So I'm continuing to, again, push my boundaries of, of what I feel comfortable in. And I'm learning a ton. But uh, yeah, that's kind of a bit of background on me.
0: That's awesome. That's, that's amazing. Um, I wanted to ask and and sort of confirm, I, I did some sleuthing on like what RentSync sure. did before and what they seem to be yeah. doing now. Is it, is it, uh, is it correct to say that they used to provide a targeted marketing strategy for, uh, your target audience, um, uh, in an agency style, but now you guys have grown enough to the point where you're building SaaS and selling it?
1: yeah that'd be i mean if you really want to go all the way back to the very beginning it started as just a website development company they just built Mm -hmm. websites for apartment building owners very small business you know that's nothing sexy um but they slowly started expanding and and going into ancillary services uh so then it was okay we'll send your property data out to different listing sites uh like kijiji or Zumper or rentals.ca uh and then as you said then they started expanding to okay let's become a mini agency let's start doing google ad services and ad management and, and branding um and now we're really getting into more heavy duty uh, software development um you know crm elements um really trying to uh manage people's data and allow them to automate um some of the daily tasks that property managers and marketers in the property management and development world would need to do. And it's really about making sure that the data flow between, you know, hey, you want to market that property, let's get that property, the data out there, then let's follow the lead, track it, and even help you book a showing and sign a, a lease. Again, these are all things that we're building into the platform. But yes, it's definitely becoming more software heavy.
0: One piece I want to go back to and something that you've brought up that would really resonate with most of our audience. Um, First of all, not feeling like a cog in the machine, Uh, but you were talking about you uh, went from company to company, sometimes smaller, uh, but you had a say in how the company was run. Specifically as it relates to marketing, how did you get your colleagues to sort of buy in to uh the things you were doing for for adwords or uh, to to get more budget um that's one of the biggest problems for marketers today how did you sort of broker that
1: for sure and i'll actually so i was at uh the, the second job i had was at a company called reliance on comfort they're an hvac company and again i would make pitches after pitch and no one would listen to me um and I actually think a big part of why i how i learned to get people to listen is from my time in sales Um, sales helped me to me sales is all about getting the right information to the right people's hands at the right time uh, to help them change their mind that's really all you're doing is with sales uh, you know when you're in marketing you still have to sell your ideas you still have to convince people how to Uh, why you should go with direction A versus direction B, uh, why we should increase budget, why this is a good decision. And so sales really helped me articulate um, the arguments that I was making and why one decision might be better than the other. Uh, But another thing is obviously, uh, I am a decent enough with math um, that I really try to make data-driven decisions. And so a combination of, I think you need to have the right data. You can't just go out on a whim Um, So I try to always bring data uh, to make better decisions and back that up. And then the sales, and I've tried to also improve my writing uh, to really say, how do we succinctly tell a story here about what of these two options is better and how is the market changing? Why do we have to go in this direction or that? And it's really about, uh, again, using data to tell a story. That's really what I've tried to do throughout my career. And uh, I continue to improve and get better, but that's really what people should do and another thing i think maybe that uh your listeners might be interested in is uh, don't be afraid to to try and be contrarian um it's easy to say just keep doing the same thing you know i had um at a couple of places that they were just doing the same thing month over month and no one wanted to change anything because it was easy um, but if you really have a good idea if it's contrarian um people will listen and um you know yeah. So I have always tried to think a little outside the box.
0: I wanted to dovetail into the fact that again, we're on a podcast, uh, format. Most of our listeners probably can't, uh, see unless you're looking up RentSync's uh, website. Um, but for a 75 person or so company, um, there definitely seems to be a real investment and in not just marketing, but content marketing. There's podcasts, yeah. there's blogs, there's guides. Um, you mentioned data and that sales and storytelling. Talk to me about, I don't know if you were there to, to see it, but but how philosophically that this investment was going to be made in in education and content, because um, it clearly seems to come from the leadership side.
1: Yeah. So that's a big part of one of the changes we're making is, you know, we have this treasure trove of data. We have so many clients that, how do we use that to tell stories that are valuable to our clients. Again, our clients are institutional landlords and, and sometimes mom, uh, smaller landlords, but uh, you know, they're interested in how the market is changing in terms of rental units, rental rates, vacancy turnover. And because we have all this data, we can we can actually tell that story. So we've tried to really utilize the data that we we have um, and again, use content, whether it's podcasts, whether it's blogs, whether it's reports that we put out uh, monthly, uh, to try to, um, again, tell a story that will add value to our clients and, and help them make better decisions. Um, so that's been a big part. Another part was, again, uh, you know, sales can only go so far. Um, you need to sometimes, um, you know, we tried direct marketing and, and Google ads for our own services, and it was not super effective. Um, as a B2B company, uh, it's a much longer sales cycle. And so we had some success with LinkedIn ads, but you know, Google ads, there's not a ton of people searching for you know, property management websites on a day-to-day basis. Um, so the content marketing was really a way to um, become a thought leader within the industry, uh, get our brand out there. Uh, people now know us and they look to us for, um, you know, insight into where the Canadian market, uh, rental market is moving. And again, content is at the core of that strategy. So we've really made a decision to really invest in content. And again, I've tried to back that up with data. Uh, Some of it is just interviewing interesting people in the industry. Uh, But I really think that uh, a valuable part for our clients is the trends, which, uh, you know, and where the data is following.
0: Let's talk about that a little bit. At the time of recording, we are October 5th, 2022, uh, where there are not such great headlines in the news <laughs> about uh, the state of the property market in yep. in in Canada. Um, how do you find that this, as someone who's working in PropTech, um, is for whether it's the marketing or operations or customer or sales team, adjusting the messaging and adjusting the strategy uh, to the way that you're um, positioning yourselves.
1: For sure. Well, the, I will say the rental market in Canada over the last two years has changed so dramatically. You know, When COVID initially hit, there was a ton of fear uh, and there was actually very high vacancies and there was tons of um, incentives to get people to rent. Um, then we had super low interest rates, uh, then people who, might be looking to rent, instead chose to buy. Uh, obviously, house prices went up. Uh, now with interest rates going up, people are kind of forced out of the buying market. There's, there's a lot fewer uh, transactions in the buying market. Uh, and also rental rates are still very high. And so we're actually seeing a lot less turnover. We're seeing people stay where they are and not move. They're saying, you know what, I'd love to move to a two bedroom, but instead I'm gonna stay at the one bedroom because if I move, um, obviously there's, there's rent control in most provinces. Um, so, you know, your, your landlord can only raise rents 2.1%, I believe next year, uh, but if you move uh, to a new unit, they can set it back to market rates. Uh, so yeah, we've seen a huge drop in turnover. Um, rental rates are still very high and it is starting to, uh, however, we are starting to see that there's typically some seasonality. Uh, no one really wants to move uh, come winter time. It's much tougher to move in the snow and it's cold and so we actually do typically see demand start to fall off um in september um august is typically the the hottest month and then september you see a big drop uh through the end of the year until december and then it kind of picks back up in january and we are seeing that i actually just went over the data yesterday and so we are still seeing a somewhat of a demand fall Uh, i still think if you are a smaller landlord um there's still a lot of demand there but I am starting to see the luxury units the purpose-built newer uh, developments are starting to see a major slowdown there anytime there's a contraction it's the higher end that gets hit first and so we are really seeing that and so uh, these companies are having to change their marketing and having to adapt quickly Um, and they are having to start uh, you know it was a bit of an easy environment for the last year or so where uh Vacancy rates were so low that most places were getting rented. And we are starting to see that start pull back. Vacancies start picking up. And so you don't want to have to... The the last lever that you should pull is market rents. Hey, let's drop our prices. We don't want to do that. So we're seeing people instead uh, start focusing on the quality of living. People really wanted more space lately. So we're seeing three and four bedrooms uh, going for much more because you know, three and four bedroom apartments were not very common, but they're starting to become much more common because people just don't want to be crammed into a shoebox, but they can't really afford a house. Um, and so we're really starting to see messaging focused on space and the amenities and the area really pick up um, in terms of how companies are are positioning their their
0: products in terms of uh, apartments. You can take exactly what Josh said there and apply it to any. Uh, product or service in this time where just about every single uh sector right now, no matter what you're marketing or selling, uh, uh is being affected by the economy, whether you know the service is, is living somewhere or it's some kind of other SaaS company. Uh the point that we want to take away from this is you got to change up your messaging. Um, For sure. So so my question uh, next, as it relates to uh, RentSync, which is now you could say it's prop tech, but it's it's you could also say it's it's a marketing tech platform. So mm-hmm. it's almost in it's almost you could almost put it in the same category as like a Drift or a HubSpot for like a very small niche. Um, at what point, because you were there on two separate stints? Where was the paradigm shift uh, where they decided to say, "Hey, let's take it more from just you know landlord marketing web solutions to let's start building software and let's automate this thing." Um, I'd love to pick your brain on what that thought operational thought process uh, was like.
1: For sure, and uh, part of it was just uh, vertical integration because we were finding that there's a great quote I. I think it was uh, Netflix uh, versus HBO, and and uh, the CEO of HBO said, we have to become Netflix before Netflix becomes HBO. And that's when HBO, uh, so obviously HBO now has a streaming service. Uh, Netflix is getting into content, and that's all about vertical integration, and that's what we really saw, and that's why we made this pivot, is we saw that we were starting to get squeezed on either end. We were just becoming a data provider, And so people were just coming to us saying, hey, can you send our data to this listing site or that listing site? And there was a property management software on one end where we were taking the data in and they were sending out to listing sites and then they were feeding those leads back into another CRM. And we found that we were getting squeezed and we actually have a very large uh, percentage of the Canadian market. So our options were either to expand into new geographies like the States or to start going down funnel or up funnel uh, either and really into some of those other services. So CRM and listing sites. And that's really what we decided is we needed to expand um, in any business you have to keep growing and you have to expand that TAM. Um, And so we tried in the States, Um, it's a much more competitive market. And really we didn't have a foothold there. Uh, There's two big companies there uh, CoStar which owns apartments.com and Zillow which does obviously their big thing is home buying uh, but they're actually really big into the rentals because about 15 percent of renters are still kind of on the fence and they might buy um, and so those two companies make up a huge amount of the um, uh, of the renter space. so there's not a ton uh, a great way for us to get our foothold in so we said you know what let's use our best asset, which is we have great relationships with our Canadian clients. Let's go deeper with them. Let's be more than just a data provider. Let's start offering CRM services. And yeah, so that's what we did. It's obviously a bit of a, a pivot, as you said. Um, but that's, a again, a key way, is we just said, we had to go vertical. We had to get more and more of the value chain, uh, because really, we were getting squeezed on either end. And you know, ideally, we'd love to go full stack. We'd love to be will collect your data, we'll send it out to the listing sites, we'll, we'll even have our own listing site, uh, then we'll pull the data back in, we'll have, offer reporting, and then we'll uh, allow you to contact people and manage your, your prospects in a CRM service. Um, again, we wanna be full stack, we're headed there, we're not there yet, but that's really what the pivot was all about, was how do we grow our, our continue to grow our, our addressable market.
0: I want to focus on a couple things: growing the uh, uh, addressable market and vertical integration. Um, again, for those who might be unfamiliar, um, in if you're listening from the United States or or elsewhere in Canada, uh, the way one looks for a condo, um, the amount of ways that or or a place to live, the amount of ways to do this has increased by. A million ways there's a million <laughs> listing there's a million listing sites um that out there if you if you try and search like uh apartment in toronto or vancouver there are a million listing sites out there and i think it was only a matter of time before uh there was a zillow or realtor.ca or sorry zillow-esque player that would come in and try and uh um integrate with those areas of the value chain. Um, so I, that's sort of how I see that. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing that I wanted to touch upon there was, um, no, wait, I did touch upon that. Growing the addressable market. <laughs> um, yeah. So so what's next for you guys? As you guys sort of expand into services, Like, uh, are you guys going to do... Uh, different things like I don't know like this is a wild thing but maybe like an email marketing tool from within the the platform or
1: for sure so right now we are really so again we're working on some CRM tools and and they're in uh, in stages really the next steps the next let's say five years look like let's complete that Um, and then really what we want to do is go deeper into some of the day-to-day operational tasks that uh, connect marketing to uh, leasing. Uh, that's really where we see the biggest gap in the market right now is it's easy to generate leads, uh, but then you hand it off to the leasing team and then the leasing team has to do a showing and there's always some confusion. So we really want to make it easier for people to book. Ever since COVID people really wanna be able to either do a virtual tour um, remotely uh, they want to, or they wanna book a tour without having to talk to someone. So we wanna make that that much easier. Uh, as well as make leasing easier. And uh, there's also just a lot of little things. Um, you know, the largest clients, those big institutional reITs who own thousands of apartments do have some software sometimes. But again, it's our software has to talk to this software. We want to have it all in-house, and that way everything works seamlessly. But really, we want to bring that down in size. So from the institutional landlords that are, uh, you know, marketing thousands of units to someone who might only have 10 or 20 units. We want to still offer them that same value. And so make it easy for smaller landlords to, uh, automatically rent their, uh, you know, list their unit. Uh, then I get prospects, uh, send them a credit check, uh, you know, rank them based on their credit check report, uh, and then send them an email lease. Uh, and that way just make it that much easier to go from, again, from start, which is the marketing, all the way through to the lease. And really the way I see it is, we want to continue that even after the lease. You know, in five years' time, I want to be saying, you know, which, uh, which tenants are most likely to keep re-upping? Uh, you know, hey, we see this, uh, this tenant is, uh, or this lease is up for renewal. Do you want to list it now, months in advance? Uh, we want to be able to know, based on turnover rates and predictive, you know, when they should start listing it, how long it'll take to list and how long it'll take to sign what the rent should be. These are all down the line. We're not there yet. But really, that's the goal is to, to really close that gap and be more than just marketing. The way I say it is it's again, it, I almost think it mirrors my career where it's marrying marketing with sales, you know, on the in the apartment world and on the multifamily world, the sales side is the, the leasing. But we really want to marry those two because I think too often they've been kind of uh, distinct entities that we want to really bring them together and make them both work uh, in unison.
0: I almost feel like the RentSync platform could be in some ways uh, analogized to, I don't know if that's a word, uh, <laughs> analogous. To, it is now analogous <laughs> to your career because here's something I want to ask is you have property managers, it's it's B2B yep. um, and you have a software platform and you know there there are these services within the software platform, marketing, uh, CRM. Um, do you feel as a as a as a B two B software services provider that you it, there's challenges with scalability because you know one property management company will want different things as another, and so that sort of presents like challenges. You know, creating that sort of uh, repeatable uh repeatable product is is that something yeah is that something that you run into
1: for sure and i also think i mean this is maybe even something that's relevant to startups in general which is there's this very big uh push and pull between really making a customized solution for a client who has very specific needs versus making something that's more hey this is a generalized solution that works for a lot of companies when you're small Sometimes you really want to get the client, but the client says, I need this, this, this. They ask for really custom things. And so you have to come up with a custom solution for them uh, that's not always scalable. And it doesn't always work. And as you get bigger, you actually can kind of be pickier and you can kind of say no to clients a lot more. You don't need every little client. You can you can say, you know what, that's outside our wheelhouse. We aren't able to do that. And so you don't have to feel like you're pleasing everyone. Um, and so you do want to make customized solutions. We don't want to make, it's. Rensing is not an out-the-box cookie cutter, but sometimes clients ask for very customized things and we just have to say no. And so we try to balance, making something that's scalable and that, uh, again, scalable means easier to uh, continue to build and grow and works for everyone and, and better margins as a business ourselves. Uh, and we wanna balance that with customizable. We want clients to be able to customize their own account. Um, so just as an example, uh, you know, companies can change their ad titles Um, based on how they want to. So you can either go with our defaults or you're able to say, you know what, I want the ad title to not be a call out like beautiful two bedrooms. I want it to say, you know, just uh, beautiful two bedrooms in city. Um, So you can kind of use more, uh, you can use some technology to say, uh, change up the marketing based on each and every listing. So we really try Sorry about that. We really try to balance that push and pull between making something customizable that works for uh, a specific client and something that is scalable and a great service for everyone.
0: Well, you just described, and I'm putting you guys in good company, but you just described like sort of the the value of what Airbnb brought to their their target audience, which um, you know, if you think about hosts, yeah, 99% of hosts are not going to be digital marketers. Right. So, yeah. uh, so when they put up, uh, listings, uh, they needed, like, they're like, what do I name my listing? You know, they're going to need a bit of a playbook. So now that's why every every Airbnb listing, you know, reads the same. It's like comfortable two bed. <laughs> da, 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 da. That's yep. why they all read the same. Um, um, but the, they helped the uh, landlord get to the top of their own sort of search engine. So uh, I find a lot of uh, insight and uh, what what you just said uh, right there. What's an example I want to
1: jump of into Airbnb? Real quick, just before we move on, because I think it's a really interesting company, and I think one of the biggest things it's done, and I think this is one thing that um, kind of we're trying to add in as well, is is the factor of trust um you know i don't know about you i used to rent cottages uh for a weekend with friends on uh, various sites and you just have to trust that someone say send me an e-transfer or a check or bring cash and i'd have to trust that i'm actually gonna get what they said it was and airbnb really made it trustless Uh, you put down a credit card they hold it if there's any issues they'll refund your money Uh, And we really want to move towards that. It's a bit of an off topic thing, but we actually have seen an uptick uh, in scams on other sites. Um, Again, we try to add technology to make sure that um, renters are knowing that our listings are verified. We're working with institutional landlords. um, But there has been an uptick in people posting non-legitimate listings uh, and then asking, hey, can you send me a deposit? And so I really think Airbnb has done an amazing job of of building trust between both the hosts and with the the renters. Um, Obviously, it's a bit of a different industry with short term than long term, but I think they've done a great job. And I think that uh, the rest of the industry is taking notice of that for sure.
0: Very good example. One one interesting point you made earlier, um, and this is something that um, for our listeners that are our founders building any type of SaaS product, there's always that uh, balance between, okay, I want to sell something that's scalable versus the customer is asking us to build this customized solution right now. There's money on the table right now. Um, what's an example of uh, a situation or a product that you know you maybe had to say uh, that you know of that you maybe had to say no to that you might think, you know what, that actually would have been pretty cool. But you had to for say sure. no, cause it's like not really scalable. For sure.
1: Well, um, there's been a lot and, and they might be a little minute, and, you know, I don't want to call any clients, but I'll give one that's not related to Rensic. It's actually related to the company that I was working at yeah. when, when we first yeah. met, Postalgia. So for the listeners, Postalgia uses uh, robots that hold pens to create handwritten cards. Um, and so we worked with a lot of nonprofits Political campaigns, and actually the area that we grew the most into was real estate. Uh, it just so happened that I had a big background, and then I thought it made sense. You know, it was more on the sales side. Um, but again, it goes back to trust. I always thought that a handwritten note uh, builds trust immediately with someone reading it, and so has a higher open rate. Um, but we had a client who asked to write on a, a very odd-shaped card. And it just wasn't scalable because the way the robots work, it feeds in mm. a card and then it writes it. And these were massive pens and it was going to be, you know, a deal worth something like, you know, we we'll grow our, our revenue by 10 percent, this one deal. And it was a so it's a, not insignificant, right? Uh, pretty large deal. And we just had to say no, because uh, operationally it would have completely ruined us we would have had to retrofit all of our machines and it just wasn't doable so we had to say no um but again i will also say to all founders you know the number one thing you have to do always is uh stay in business uh you if you are going through tough times you have to extend that runway and so sometimes you do have to take deals that you don't love um but it's really about balancing and where you are in that uh really where it is in that stage. I can't remember who said it, but there's a great phrase, which is, when you start out, you really have to do the things that aren't scalable. Um, Whether that's, you know, reaching out to each and every customer and just getting feedback, talking to them, making sure everything went well. Uh, As you grow, that's when you start scaling. So when you're small, sometimes you have to do the things that aren't scalable. Uh, But as you grow, that's really when you start becoming pickier and able to uh, determine, hey, is this revenue, revenue, not all revenues built the same also some revenue is great and high margin and easy and others is this is gonna take a ton of work to make it work and it's not scalable and so you really just want to make sure that any deal you're doing uh based on your stage of your specific startup um does this deal make sense to take on i'm a big believer in firing the client sometimes sometimes clients are just not worth it their headaches they are canceling uh stuff and and just not worth it all the time and effort you really have to grow a business so yeah that's one thing I've definitely learned
0: (laughs) it's really funny because the guy I met you with uh uh Aaron who we were running that campaign with uh he he and I on this podcast also talked about an instance of that it was obviously a completely different context but I find that find that to be funny that way um yeah Uh, how do you there's one there's one theme Uh, that you go on there when you say sometimes you have to fire the client or say no to things. Um, Let's bring it back to the early stages of of your career where, you know, whether you're in marketing and sales at an early stage startup, um, doesn't matter. Uh, Holistically, probably the biggest issue that you'll have is saying no to, to doing things because um, what I find is once you learn to say no to doing things and focus on the high value things, is when your career, um, or your product, or whatever takes off. Um, but it seems like you figured that out. How did you reach that point in your career?
1: For sure, I've actually found so when I was when I was young, I didn't want to say no in my career. Still think I'm mm-hmm. sad, at heart. <laughs> um, I didn't want to say no to anything. I want to say yes, and part of it was because I didn't know where i was going i had some thoughts and i said oh maybe i'll do this maybe i'll do that um but again do you want to try sales i didn't say no i said yes and so really when i was young i tried to say yes to everything and um it it is not about focus at first it's about trying a bunch of things and seeing what you're really good at and that's really what i want to find out is what am i excellent at and what can i do better than 90 percent of other people And so I said yes to a lot of things and a lot of it I wasn't great at. I will admit I was a, I always say this, I was a mediocre salesperson, Uh, but I tried to focus. What was I good at at sales and what was I not good at? And what I was good at is I was good at talking to people. I was good at using data to tell a story about why a product might be good. I was not always good at the close. So I said, I'm not good at sales, but maybe I'm good at um, what what else uses the things I'm good at. And so I tried to say yes to other things that were related to that. Uh, Now that I'm, uh, more senior and a little, again, I'm still early in my career, but now it's all about saying no to things. It's all about focus. That's what I've really learned is at first, I think you want to say yes to everything. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I try to analogize it to, I'll use your word, (laughs) uh, to dating. Uh, when I first started dating people, I just said yes to every date. And I went on some good dates. I went on some bad dates. Uh, as you get older, you know what you're looking for in a partner. Uh, and so you can say no to a lot more and and find better dates and so that's really what i've seen also in my career as i've gone uh further along i've said no to a lot more things and really said i need to focus on the few things that add the most value uh you know i really find this i still want to take on a lot but it's a lot about delegating i can't do this or someone else can do this 80 percent as well as me and i need to do this that i'm five times better than everyone else at the company at. and so i need my my time is best served here. So, you know, I'd love to, we're working on a marketing campaign uh, coming up, an email marketing campaign. I would love to write all the messaging. I'm not going to do that. I, <laughs> Deep down, I really want to, but I'm going to hand that off to someone else. I'm going to review it before it goes out and make some tweaks, uh, but I'd love to do it. But I say, you know what? I have too many other things on my plate and I really need to focus on those important things. And this other person's 90% as good as me at, at writing copy. So I'll let them do it. Maybe they're even better.
0: So with that philosophy, how did that lead you to where you are more on the operation side?
1: Yeah, so as I said, it, it really I tried to find the through line in what I was good at and what I liked. And I think sometimes those go hand in hand. Uh, I always used to wonder, you know, am I good at do I like something because I'm good at it or vice versa? In other words, you know, I think most people like being really good at something that they do. They like taking pride in in being great at something. And so I said, if I'm great at something, I'm gonna like it. And if I like it, I'm gonna work harder at it. And if I work harder at it, I'm gonna just get better at it. And it's gonna be this virtuous cycle of just getting better and better at something. So I tried to find those things where I was really good at them and did like doing them so that I could continue to get better. And so that three line again was, from marketing to sales it's about uh, you know working with clients at the end of the day uh, sales is still about working with clients but it's not about a broad message to everyone it's working one-on-one and then from uh, sales to product marketing it's kind of uh, or to product development and, and operations it's bringing back kind of that broadness so it's speaking one-to-one but to everyone so it's how do we customize the, uh, the site or the, the software to allow you to do what you need to do and tell a story and allow you give you the tools and how do we tell you that you're going like what what is most valuable to you what is really the value prop and so then marketing has to do a job of, of describing that value prop. But products really about creating the value prop so again to me it's really about understanding the client understanding their behavior understanding where they're deriving value adding that into the product and then working with marketing to tell that story and that's really what i've tried to do and evolve is really Again, take that element of marketing that I really like, which is understanding the end client, um, but bringing that into what adds value. How do we add that into the product?
0: Awesome. So I want to I want to take one thing away for uh, people out there who uh, are startup marketers um, who, you know, are good at the things that Josh is is good at. But maybe. they feel like they're a square peg in a, in a round hole, uh, <laughs> based on the product or whatever situation or company that they're in. But again, just that process of focusing on what are you good at, what are you maybe not that good at, and then uh, sort of you know working your way into into a better situation. Which again, for early stage marketers and startup founders, is is something that they're always trying to do with their products.
1: And I actually think it's really important to no one wants to admit that they're not good at things, but I think it's really important because when you're not good at something, it helps you, again, you, you still need someone to do something. Hey, I'm not good at engineering. I'm not good at, at the software side. So I worked with someone who is amazing at that and they're an amazing uh, software manager and they understand the tech and together I can tell the story and he can translate that into code and work with our development team to, to make that real. But I think it's really important to be real with yourself at what you're good at. No one wants to admit they're not good at things, but I think it's really important because you're going to make a better product and a better team. Hey, you know what? I don't have the technical stuff or I'm not the best um, at talking to people. So I need someone to help uh, fundraise and someone who's going to be really good at at, at raising money. And I'm going to be the product guy because I'm really good at marketing and I'm really good at product. So I think you really want to just be real with yourself on what you're good at and what you're not so good at.
0: One thing, as we uh, uh, our time draws uh, to a close is I always want to ask people at the end of a podcast, uh, this has become a, a makeshift CMO uh, tradition is if I gave you ten million bucks, you well, you could fail, but in yeah. your mind, if you got ten million bucks, you were probably thinking, I can't fail uh, to start any company. Um, let's say, let's say you've, you're, you're done with rent sink. Like you guys have a great exit. Someone comes along and says, Josh, you're awesome. I'm going to give you 10 million bucks. What do you do? Uh,
1: so, you know, part of me would say I'd buy some real estate. I think that we're heading into a high, uh, high inflation, uh, like interest rates are rising, which typically brings down, uh, public market stocks. Uh, so I think, you know, public market stocks are not going to be great over the next three to five years. you want cash on cash businesses so apartment buildings are typically good in that i know the industry i'd kill it on the marketing side so the easy answer would be i'd buy some real estate and and run that and be the marketer but that's not really the the fun answer uh i actually think a business i would start is i would actually create it's a very unsexy answer but accounting software for hollywood studios um my brother really yeah my brother works in the industry as does my aunt actually and my uncle. Uh, so I have a couple people that work on the uh, on the finance sides in uh, Hollywood, and they all tell me how antiquated the uh, software is. And I can tell you also from just internal processes that we've changed softwares on our end. And, and yes, there are softwares out there to help improve accounting, but there's still industry specific needs. And so we've switched softwares a couple times just to say, hey, what works best for our specific needs? This goes back to the customization. And, you know, how many CRMs out there, there's thousands, Uh, Salesforce is a very good generalized CRM as is HubSpot, but there are sales, uh, there are CRMs out there for daycares and schools and nurseries and camps, and and it's very specific to uh, a niche. And I think that that could be the true as well in the world of accounting. And I think that Hollywood Studios, big business, and I know they have a lot of very specific needs. Again, I'm not the expert there, uh, but I've spoken to my brother at length about this. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's an area that, again, it's unsexy, but there's the other thing I think that sometimes people uh, need to realize is there's a lot of money in unsexy industries. Uh, you know, growing up, everyone wants to be an athlete or an actor, uh, today, I guess you'd call it a content creator or something. Uh, those are super competitive industries because everyone's in there. No one wants to get into, uh, Hey, we're going to do, uh, you know, tire recycling or something like that, that <laughs> no one cares about, um, or scrap metal. These, these industries that actually have very high cash yields, they're unsexy, no one wants to be in them. Uh, and so typically they're they're kind of ignored. Um, but I think that there's a lot of money to be made in there. Actually, one of my favorite businesses out there is Flexport. I don't know if you know it, it's a logistics company. It, it's a- it's Yes, a staff yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Logistics. logistics isn't sexy. It's come into foray ever since COVID because you know there were lockdowns and supply chain issues. And so people have now, thought of it much more but those are industries that can really grow are these unsexy industries that people don't think about and so I really try to think about them and the last thing I'll say on this idea of like what business would you think of I used to always have this exercise with my buddy because he always said oh I want to start my own business so I said what do you have he said I don't have the perfect idea so I always used to tell him you're never going to get the perfect idea but do this for me write down a hundred ideas I said how am I going to come up with a hundred I- good ideas I said you're not going to come up with a hundred good ideas But if you come up with 100 ideas for a business, 90 of them are going to be really bad. Honestly, they're going to be terrible. (laughs) And then another five of them are going to be okay. Three are going to be good. And maybe one or two are going to be great. And that's really it. To me, if you really want to find a great business, the first idea that pops in your head is rarely going to be great. But come up with 50, 100 ideas, and eventually you're going to find a great idea. And again, it's really about finding where there's a disconnect, where people are wasting too much time or or there's just not enough value being added so i really try and find that and so sometimes in my own life i say hey this was really annoying how could i improve that experience and, and think about that as a business uh, but again that's really where i try to look is in the unsexy areas
0: that's awesome that's a really good way to put it and uh, for those out there uh, who are uh, who have that bug inside them, they're like, I just need to quit my job and then start a business. Uh, that's a great tip for you. Write down a hundred ideas uh, because uh, the reality is 90% of them are, are, are gonna be bad. And as an entrepreneur, you're probably gonna hear that 90% of your ideas are bad. So you better get used to the fact that people are gonna tell your ideas suck because that's the price it, pay, it takes to be an entrepreneur, entrepreneur, whatever it is.
1: Um, yeah, and don't be afraid to pivot. You know, I, I think too many people. Um, you know, again, I'm data driven. Um, if if you think something's true, people just don't care. But not, enough, don't be afraid to change and, and go where the data falls. That's a big thing I try and tell everyone at at, at uh, work. I try to instill in my team is sometimes we think something. I often make product changes uh, to the uh, and I think one thing's going to happen. I, I'm a big believer in you know. I say this is what I think is going to happen when we make this product change and it doesn't happen. So you have to test your, your theories. You can't just go on your gut. Uh, again, your gut can lead you, but you have to back this up. And so don't be afraid to follow the data. And we have found in sometimes some interesting things where we said, oh, wow, this, we didn't expect this. Let's, let's keep looking into that further. And we found some amazing product innovations just by following the data that have led to higher customer retention um, or, or just more leads for users. And so really, uh, you know, don't be afraid to change your mind
0: based on what the data says that's awesome uh, because this is a marketing uh focused podcast towards founders and early stage teams i got to do something cheesy at the end what's your call <laughs> to action josh you gave us damn near an hour of your time uh the least we could do is let you plug something in the show notes something that you're passionate <laughs> about whether it's a cause or yourself
1: Sure. When you said call to action, I thought you meant, imagine there's a, there's a billboard that says, Josh, what's your, what's your slogan or something <laughs> like that? Actually, actually we Hey, you tell could, you that. could
0: say that. You could sure, say that. I actually
1: will tell you this. This is my Slack bio. In, on Slack, it says, you know, what do you do? And you're supposed to write your job, but I just write, get shit, st- get, get shit done. That's really my motto in life. And, and at work, especially is you just got to find a way, you know, sometimes it's going to be messy. Sometimes it's going to be ugly, uh, but especially in the startup world, like things aren't going to be perfect. And I'd rather have a really good product 85% of the way there today than a perfect product in, in two years. You know, it's, it's never going to be perfect, but you got to put it out in the world and see how it works. And again, get that real world, da- real world data and see how people react to it. Uh, so that's my personal, uh, slogan as for where you can find me. I, if you'd like, you can connect to me on LinkedIn, uh, Joshua Lipton. um, I don't really have too much else. I actually keep a low profile on social. Um, I, most of my things are private, um, but yeah, so I, I'm not gonna call anything out, though I will say, if you are looking, we are always looking for smart, hardworking people at Rensink. So if you are a smart, hardworking marketer, which I'm sure all your listeners are, uh, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. And uh, if we have some jobs available, which I think we do coming down the pipeline, uh, we're always looking for those kinds of people. So yeah, would love to connect.
0: Josh, thank you so much uh, for joining us, and uh, The Makeshift CMO really enjoyed having you. Thank you so much. Been
1: a pleasure. Thanks, Bruce.
0: Thanks for listening to this edition of The Makeshift CMO. If you want to follow what we're doing to help early-stage startups, founders, and marketers subscribe on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts.